How many um, were in the GCC groups and went through the side-by-side -side book? Okay, so you have an idea of what this, this book is about. Um, so like I said, the first part is called We Are Needy. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that section. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you. Bless you for this opportunity. Help us, uh, Vince and I, to, to make this simple and uh, tonight as we teach from this book about um, us being needy people and also being needed people as well. Uh, we thank you that uh, you give us grace in both those areas, Lord God. And so even tonight, help us to, to submit to that. Um, we thank you, we love you, we glorify you, Lord God, for the things you've already done in our lives. Uh, proving that even as needed people, you meet our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we thank you. We glorify you, give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, first thing I want to say is your neediness qualifies you to help others. I think sometimes we think that because we're needy ourselves, that that, that might disqualify us from um, being used in other people's lives who are needy, but that is not true. Um, so even though we are needy, um, that kind of qualifies us um, to help other people. How many agree that life is hard? <laughs> okay. How many also agree that life is good? So those two are not necessarily opposites. Even though life is hard, life is still good. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, take courage. He said, I've overcome the world. You know, He didn't say you overcame the world. He said, take heart because... I, Jesus Christ, have overcome the world. And because you're in me, if I overcome the world, then you are overcomers too. And the Bible talks about that as well. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the situations in life um, that can cause, that can help to make life hard. There are, I'm going to go through just a few of them. Financial situations can make life hard. And I think we can all attest to that. I know I can. Um, health, health issues can make life hard. Uh, crime, you know, uh, in, in, in our communities, in our world. Busyness, just being busy. You know, I can, I can relate to just life just being busy, and that can make life hard. Sometimes it's busy because of our own, um, we can make it busy unnecessarily, um, but still yet, yeah, life can be busy. Um, discrimination in all its forms can make life hard. And then injustice can make life hard. So all of these things can, can come uh, and aid in helping to make life hard. Um, and these circumstances can shape our lives. Um, and there are several, several areas of circumstances that can, that can shape our lives. Our bodies, our relationships, our work, our spirit, the spiritual beings in the world and around the world, and God and his kingdom. And I want to talk a little bit about those. What I mean by our body being able to make life hard and making us needy is that um, our body affects us. The physical things that can affect our body, aches, pains, mental issues, all those things are quote unquote physical. In fact, they affect our body and can make life hard. Whether it's a, a physical sickness that hinders your capacity to function in society, um, whether it's a handicap that's permanent or even or either something that's not handicapped, it's temporary, some kind of physical sickness that can hinder your life. So we are affected by that, and that can make life very difficult. Um, it's particularly people who have situations that are permanent, whether it's handicapped, somebody um, who's paralyzed, let's say, for example, or who's deaf, or who's blind, blind, and they weren't born that way, that can make life very difficult. Because um, you have to learn to adjust after functioning one way for so long, and then all of a sudden, you have to learn how to, 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 to live life a whole new way because of this physical uh, ailment that you have. So um, our bodies can be affected by that. Our relationships, we experience the best and worst of life. And alone, aloneness, victimization, and rejection can all affect us. People can make life difficult. How many agree that people can make your life difficult? And sometimes those people are in your house. <laughs> sometimes those people are on your job. Sometimes those people are in your neighborhood. But people can make, our relationships can make life difficult. And so we can experience the best in life in, 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 in relationships. Um, people can make your life miserable or they can make it blissful. Um, so the relationships we have can also affect, um, can also make us needy people. 
even though we need people, we need relationships, but sometimes the relationships can make us needy. So you, can, you, can, you can be in a relationship and still be alone or lonely, and I think we, we can all agree to that. So just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean that you're not alone or even not being victimized or even not um, being rejected. You can be in a relationship and still be rejected by the person you're in a relationship with. So those things can affect um, our lives as well. Our work. I think work shapes our lives more than we think they do, I think. Um, we don't realize how much work. And poverty and riches can be, um, can help, can leave us very vulnerable. I want to read a scripture in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. I'm not going to read a whole lot of scriptures tonight because I'm sharing this message, but Proverbs, chapter 30, I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. And it says, two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and still profaning the name of my God. So poverty and riches, either one of those, he's saying that don't give me too much or I'll deny you and say, Who is God? What would what, what it have to do with God? I'm, I'm rich. I got everything I need. I don't need God. Or I can be poor, whereas... I, I can live a life of, 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 of criminality, stealing and profaning the name of God. So there's two extremes. And, and Solomon said, don't give me, he said, just give me everything I need. You know, Jesus even said, um, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give me enough bread for the next month. He said, daily bread. So um, we have to be careful that we don't allow poverty or riches to cause us to, uh, to, to, to cause, cause poverty or riches to shape our lives uh, to the point where we either deny God or profane his name. So the other thing is spiritual beings or the system in the world can, can, can affect our lives as well. Um, the enemy uses a couple things to, to, to affect our lives. His, a couple of his weapons are lies, half-truths, and temptation. So Jesus called him the father of lies. He's a liar. He will speak lies. He will speak half-truths. A half-truth is a lie, but it can be deceiving because there is some truth in it. You know, he'll tell you half of a lie. You know, like he told Jesus, um, he, he quoted a scripture in the book of Psalms. Now, he quoted part of the verse. He didn't quote it all. So it was halfway true what he said, um, but he didn't quote the whole thing. And he also uses temptation to affect our lives. We're more tempted um, in any area of our lives. That can, that can cause us to, uh, to fall into sin and, and also to be needy people. Um, uh, the Bible talks about being, uh, in Ephesians, uh, being aware of the, of the enemy's weapons. You know, um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, uh, against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So we have to be careful. These are areas uh, that we can be very vulnerable in. And lastly, um, God and his kingdom ought to be the... Uh, what we turn to when all of these things um, affect us. God and his kingdom envelops all of these circumstances. They should envelop all of these circumstances in our lives. And so um, that's one of the first parts of the book that he talks about, that life is hard. And the second thing he talks about is our hearts are busy. The essence of who we are is our hearts, and our heart is seen through our emotions. The book of Proverbs says, um, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. So we have, to be, we have to guard our hearts because that is the essence of who we are. And emotions can reveal what's in our heart. Um, we have to be careful that we don't allow our feelings to control us. Feelings are not facts. So our emotions can't control us. They're very real, there's nothing wrong with emotions, but as long as they, are, they don't control us. They reveal more about us than the circumstance does. So when we respond to a circumstance with our emotions, that reveals more about us than it does about the circumstance. You know what I'm saying? So if I respond in a very emotional, negative way, that reveals about what's in my heart um, and not so much about the circumstance. It reveals what's important, what's important to me. What do I love the most? Those are the kind of things that your heart can reveal. Um, and it reveals what, what we really believe about God. When our heart's exposed, it reveals what we really believe about God. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So good can come from our heart and bad can come from our hearts. And what I mean by good coming from our hearts, even though we are fallen, sinful, and there is none that is good, the Bible says, but what I mean is, um, even though we are depraved, we can still do good things. We're, the Bible, it's, we're totally depraved, not utterly depraved. If we were utterly depraved, we wouldn't be able to do any good at all. But we're totally depraved, which means every part of our being is depraved. But we can still do good. Like, we're seeing it right now in Houston with this flood. There are people who are coming to help, even from other cities, donating money and items. That's good. So people are doing that out of the quote-unquote goodness of their heart. They don't have to do that. So those are kind of things uh, your neighbor is coming to help you uh, with. And, you know, any volunteering, into, all of that kind of stuff is good. So we can even sinners do good things. Even atheists can do good things. Doesn't mean they're necessarily good in the essence of who they are and their being. But we can do good things as sinful creatures. And that can be deceiving. In the, we hear a lot of times when, um, when there's disasters like this and the news, the news says things like, um, we're seeing the, the triumph of the human spirit when these people come out and help and do all of this stuff. And, 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 and I guess that ought to be applauded. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But we see that as almost as the salvation of mankind. See how, see how good we are we can be when, we're nece- when it's necessary. You know, so they say that, you know, oh, they're, su- that's, they're such good people. And therefore, they, God has to accept them and embrace them. Now, they don't say that, but that's kind of the idea that you get when people talk about, uh, even when you talk about people, um, about salvation, people almost always say, almost always say, but I'm a good person. I think we've all heard people say that. But I'm a good person. They even compare themselves, you know, to other people. Well, you know, I'm not like so-and-so. I'm a good person. In other words, I'm a good person. So therefore, God should accept me. So good can come out of our hearts. That's deceptive. But also bad can come out of our hearts. And that's mainly what comes out of our hearts. (laughs) And we've all seen that. Um, Crime, crime. Discrimination, all, all the stuff we can think of that proves that we are depraved people. So our heart reveals it's the essence of who we are. And so we have to be careful that we don't be deceived by that. Let me, let me read something from this book. Um, he says, we could, when we're happy, we possess something we love. When we're anxious, something we love is at risk. When despondent, something we love has been lost. When angry, something we love is being stolen or kept from us. Or look at guilt and shame. We might not say that they reveal what we love, but they certainly reveal what is dear to us. When we feel shame, we feel as though someone has taken off our human covering and left us naked. I felt that shame. I felt like somebody exposed me, quote unquote, and I felt naked and I wanted to run and hide. It separates us from relationships, and relationships are dear to us. When guilty, we feel like our relationship with God is potentially in jeopardy, and this relationship gets to matters of life and death. We could sum up our emotions this way. They usually proceed from our hearts, are given shape by our bodies, reflect the quality of our relationships, bear the etchings of both the goodness and the meaninglessness of work, provide a peek into how we fare in spiritual battle, and they identify what we really believe about God. So those emotions, we have to make sure we, we are in control of our emotions and our emotions are not in control of us. Next thing is our, our spiritual allegiance comes from our heart. We are religious people through and through, whether we realize that or not. Um, we are religious people. Who we love above all else, who we worship, who we love, Above all else is who we worship, and who we worship controls us. Realize who or what you worship will control you. It ought to be God. But there are other things or even other people that can control us that we worship. Because worship is not just, we think, when we think about idols, we usually think about, you know, somebody having a statue in their basement that they bow down to every morning. But an idol can be your car, it can be your spouse, it can be your children, it can be your job. Anything that we put above God is an idol, and we can worship that, and that thing can control us and will control us, even if it's not God. 
So all of these stuff can bring about difficult circumstances, okay, questions that arise in our hearts when we're going through all of these difficult problems. Does God care? Okay. Um, does he care when I'm in trouble? Okay. If this God loves me, why am I going through this? And we even see this in scripture. Um, uh, if, if, if God is who he said he was and if he loves me the way he said he does, then why? The, the why question comes up. And there's nothing wrong with asking why. You know, Job, the whole book of Job is about him asking why. You know, so there's nothing wrong with asking why. Now, uh, the answer you may not like, you may not get when you want, but there's still that question of why. Okay, you know, Psalm 22, uh, my God, my God, why have, why have you forsaken me? Um, that's in the, in the book of Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me, God, in my most dire time of need? Where are you? And these are legitimate questions, especially during times when um, times of children being uh, deathly ill. Um, those are kind of questions that atheists um, uh, use as the reason they don't believe in God because of all the suffering and evil in the world. I and mean, how could a loving God allow this six-year-old to get cancer? How could a loving God allow, you know, Hurricane Harvey to devastate all those thousands of people's homes in Houston, Texas? What kind of God is that? So those are the questions that arise during difficult circumstances. Um, uh, so, but as believers, during these times, we need to hear God's voice, we need to believe his word, and we need to follow Jesus, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Don't allow the circumstances to deter you away from um, the God that we know is real. See, that has to be a, the realness of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God. Those have to be settled issues in your life when those situations arise. So when, when difficult circumstances come up that are out of my control and, and, and look like it's going to destroy me and devastate me, I still have to say, but God is good. God is faithful. And I trust him even right now. We have to learn to trust God where we can't trace him. Because I don't see a trace of God anywhere in this, but I trust him even where I can't trace him. That's hard. That's hard. Now, the more experience you have with God over the years, the easier it is to do that, I'll say. Because we have to, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, we can't forget where God has brought us from. Because it seems like every, every time a difficult circumstance comes up, we question God again. But wait, three years ago he brought you out of this situation and you questioned God. He brought you out of that. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Here's another difficult circumstance. He's not, his, his hand is not too short that he can't save you again. So we can't forget what God has already done. Wait a minute, this is a difficult circumstance. But three years ago, I was in a situation. God brought me out of that. So God, okay, forgive me for forgetting what you've already done. Okay, our biggest problem is sin. I want to talk quickly about that. Suffering exposes sin in our hearts. Sin, the Bible says, the sin weighs a lot. Lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, Hebrews 12 and 1. It's just to lay aside the weight that so easily besets us. Um, I hold, old preacher used to say, a weight is not a sin, but it'll hold you till sin gets there. You know, lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. So we have to lay aside the weight. It weighs a lot. Get rid of it. Seeing sin is good. So when we see sin in our lives, we are not to fret. It's good. It proves that um, we are on the right path. God wants us to see our sin so that we can repent of it. So seeing, God is, seeing sin in our lives is not a bad thing. It can be discouraging, but it's not a bad thing. The fact that you see it is good. Okay? Um, sin ought to drive us to Jesus. That's the purpose. When God exposes sin in our lives, it ought to drive us to Jesus. Sin brings humility, it should. When we see sin in our lives, it ought to humble us and realize how broken we are, how sinful we are. It ought to make us humble. Sin ought to never, it ought to make us humble, okay? It brings, it should bring power and confidence. Okay, um, the Bible says, uh, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain grace and help in the time of need. So, yes, I've discovered the sin. I've sinned against God, but I can come boldly with confidence, glad confidence, the Bible says, because... I'm in Christ. I'm in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I can come boldly. So when I sin, 
Yes, I'm broken. It's discouraging. But God, thank you that I can come to you now, even still in my sin. And sometimes, and I, and I think we've all felt this, including myself, that when we sin, it shames us. And I don't want to go to God. That's what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. They hid themselves, and we do the same thing today. We have a tendency to hide ourselves when we sin. That's the first thing I want to do. That's the first thing I want to do when I sin is go hide. Because I know I've offended my God. I question, do I want to go to church today? Because I sinned. You know, all those, all those questions, all those things, come boldly to the throne of grace. To obtain mercy, you need mercy at that, at that, at that point. To obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. And sin is always uh, against God. Um, it's always against God. Even when I sin against you, I'm sinning first and foremost against God. And that's what David said. Against you and you've only. When he sinned with Bathsheba, he said, against you and you've only have I done this thing. He sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba. But he said, first of all, God, this was against you. And so that makes us needy. I need forgiveness. When I'm sinning against God, I need forgiveness. I'm a needy person. I need forgiveness. Okay. Um, so when the situations arise, we need to say help to the Lord first and foremost. And how do we do that? We do that through prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Um, uh, In all prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. When I, when I sin, the first thing I want to do is pray. I want to pray. And I want to pray scripture is what I want to do when I, when I sin against God. Um, we can go, what I used to do, um, and I used to do this even before I got saved, I would do this. When I sin, I would go read Psalm 51 um, with David's prayer of repentance against Bathsheba. Um, Have mercy on me, O, o Lord, according to your loving kindness. You know, that whole, you, praying Psalm 51 is good when you sin. Psalm 34 is another good one. And I would do that, and I wouldn't even say it. But when we pray, because, because God is committed to his word. And I got, we got to remind ourselves what God said um, about us, about sin. So when I'm, when I'm sinning against God, when I, when I do that, I can go to the word and say, God, you said, if I confess my sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Pray the word. Pray the word. Don't, don't pray your feelings necessarily. I'm, I don't mean, this book of Psalms is full of feelings. But you get my point. I'm just saying, but at the same time, pray scripture. Because that always gets answered. Always gets answered. Pray uh, scripture. Crying out to God is the most human thing we can do. That's a, that's a spiritual act. Crying out to God is a spiritual act. And it's the most human thing we can do as humans. That's what we do. Um, so don't think that uh, that's a weakness. The world would tell you, you know, we've heard the, the whole thing about, you know, Christianity is a crutch and it's for weak people. And but, yeah, you're right. Yep, it is. It sure is. It's for weak people. And I'm a weak brother. Now, and yes, you're right. <laughs> so when I'm in, I need God. That's the most spiritual thing I can do is get on my face and repent before God. So crying out to God is spiritual. I'm being spiritual when I do that. Um, pray for help in times, of trouble, in times of trouble. Psalm 130, you might want to read when you get a minute. I'm running out of time. But uh, pray for, for help in time of trouble. Pray, pray a prayer of confession. Forgiveness of sins is essential to human satisfaction. The word shalom means peace. And so the only way we as believers get real peace is through the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in, in Psalm, I think it's Isaiah 48, there is no peace for the wicked, he says. You know, the world doesn't have any real peace because that only comes through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the prince. He's the prince of peace. And so he's the only one that can give us the peace, peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God is, okay, everything between me and God is cool because my sins have been forgiven. My sin is no longer a barrier between me and God. So I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And then I have the peace of God, which means I don't, I'm not uh, in turmoil because of my sin. I can go to sleep at night 
because I have the peace of God. And the peace, you can get peace of God in the midst of turmoil going all around you. All of these other difficult circumstances that's happening in your life, you can have the peace of God in the midst of those because of what Jesus Christ did. He said, I've overcome the world. He said, you're going to have tribulation, but relax. I got this. I've overcome the world. Go to sleep. Psalm 127 says, he, give it, he gives his beloved even in sleep because of what Jesus Christ has done. Um, pray to know God better when you pray. Our comfort, our comfort should be the knowledge of God. That's our comfort. Psalm, Psalm 46. Um, our comfort is the fact that we know God. In the midst of all of this other stuff, my comfort is, um, but you know what? I know who God is. And because I know who God is and he knows me, everything is going to be okay because of that. Okay, we practice prayer. We let scripture shape the way we pray, which we talked about. The last thing is we want to say help to other people. We're needy people, so um, I need help. So I ought to be able to come to you and say, help. I'm in trouble. I need some help. We ought to be able to do that. Asking people for help is hard. Why? Because we want to appear competent, honorable, and in control. So sometimes it's hard to ask other people for help because of an image that we want to uphold. I don't want to appear weak, um, unspiritual. You know, how can I ask you for, for prayer when I'm the pastor? You know what I'm saying? I'm supposed to pray for you. So when I come to you and say, listen, I need y'all to pray for me because of such and such and such and such. That's an honorable thing because we messed up too. So um, don't be ashamed to, uh, to ask people for help. Um, when you're in trouble. Pray for heart issues as well as the circumstance. Don't just ask for prayer for the circumstance. Pray for my heart during this time. Okay, this is the situation. I'm going through this, whatever that may be, X, Y, and Z. But you know what? Pray that my heart is right in this because I'm not sure that it is. You pray for the circumstance, but also pray for me that my heart is right in it. Pray that my heart is right towards my brother. Pray that my heart is right towards my boss, who I'm really wrestling with right now. There's a situation at work, and, but you know what, pray for that, but also pray for my heart towards my boss, because I have a tendency to despise him. Those kind of things, you know. So just pray for the heart circumstance, as well as the circumstance itself. Pray for your heart during the circumstance. Um, pray the appropriate scriptures for the situation. Um, uh, Whatever the situation is, pray for that. You know, here's the situation, such and such and such and such, and the Bible says this. So pray that I'm obedient to this verse right now. You know what I'm saying? Pray this scripture for my life right now because I'm wrestling to obey that. So we want to pray not just for uh, the circumstance or the situation. Pray the right verse in that situation. And the last thing is we want to recognize the help when it comes. Learn to say thank you. When somebody comes alongside you to help you, learn how to say thank you. Um, that's the most humble thing you can do. Prideful people never say thank you. Prideful people never say thank you. And if they do, it's, 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 it's hard for them to say that and it's probably not real. Because they, the fact that they had to come to you for help or you had to help them is a problem for them because of their pride. So prideful people usually never say thank you. But recognize the help when it comes and learn to say thank you. Recount what God has done. His answered prayers. You know, God has been faithful over the years. I remember these situations and you can name them. God has been faithful. Recount. You know, remember what God has done. The Bible talks about that. And proclaim God's faithfulness. Proclaim his faithfulness to even to other people. You know what? Uh, God has been faithful to me over the years. Proclaim that. Those are things we need to do to encourage ourselves. And even when other people are helping us, remind ourselves, God has been faithful. So we are needy people. I need you. You need me. We are needy people. But that doesn't um, mean that we are not needed. So don't let the fact that you are needy think that, that nobody needs you at this time. Even during your time of stress, you can still help somebody else out. And Vince is going to come and expound on that a little bit more. All right. Father, thank you um, that you chose needy people who are subject to 
the world that is tough, our hearts that are busy, and we are constantly, are constantly taken over by sin that weighs too much for us. Thank you that you have chosen people like that and you have given us Jesus to cover those needs and, feel, and fill those wounds. I pray that you would teach us, not just tonight, but as we live our lives, how to be the church more and more. That you would teach your church how we are to behave. I pray that the words I say would be clear and they would be words that you want and anything that you do not want, you would stop. In your name I pray, amen. Alrighty, so my task tonight, and my bookmarks all fell out of my book, my task tonight is to go over the second half of the book. And the book is Side by Side um, by Ed Welch. Um, and very few of us, I think, went through it. And so I recommend... Um, as beautifully as Eddie did summarize the first half of the book, um, it would just be impossible for him to touch every good piece of it in that first half. Um, and likewise for me. <laughs> I can't get into every good... And even when I was preparing, I would be like, oh, this is great. And then I'd read a page and be like, oh, that's great too. Um, so please read the book. Um, I pray that this will be useful to everybody, um, but I guarantee the book will be more useful. And so my half is we are needed. Um, and so I want to um, echo what Eddie said and just uh, make sure that before we jump in um, to the side of we are needed, it's important to keep the things Eddie said in mind, um, to keep it attached to the approach of how we help one another in the church. Because if, um, and often we do this with not just church, but with um, all things, we put them in a progression or in a rank. And so we will separate it and say we are needy, and then when we fix those needs, then we can be of use. Um, that's false. And what that um, produces is actions in people that are not acting biblically. Either you have people that are stuck in their neediness because they see it, and they can't escape it. Um, we are being made made perfect through sanctification, and one day, by the grace of God, will be that. But we still are all the things that Eddie just took the time to expound upon. We are carrying heavy sin. The world is hard. Our hearts are busy. And so we will never fully leave that. And so we'll get stuck there, or we'll pretend that doesn't exist, and we'll put on our own self-righteousness and say, okay, I'm not needy anymore, now I can be of use. Both of those are not helpful. They're not what the Bible would prescribe for Christians. Instead, think of it like train tracks. One track, we are needy. Other track, we are needed. And the train rests on both tracks, and that's how it moves. We are both of those things put together, um, and that is how the church will operate. Um, and so it's, it, it is easy to look at the task that we have and the hurts that are out there. We look at Hurricane Harvey that has destroyed homes, um, has shaken people's faith. And we say, how am I capable to the task? And Welsh reminds us in the book um, that we have the Spirit. The Spirit is given um, to believers um, upon salvation and quite literally is um, like a certification, if you will. Um, the Spirit is in us and the Spirit, our advice and our, and our wisdom we give can bear marks of that. Uh, I want to read a quote um, from the book that sort of speaks to that from another light. And he says, Having the Spirit does not mean that otherwise blank minds suddenly become streams of insight and comfort to those in need. We remain fully capable of saying stupid and hurtful things. But it does mean that our helping will bear the marks of the Spirit, such as patience and kindness. And so the Spirit takes um, unprofessionals, people that are not trained counselors, and it does give us, he, he does give us the ability to bring heavenly wisdom to one another. And then books like Side by Side and meeting with each other will provide us skills to be the people that don't say the stupid and the hurtful things. And hopefully we'll have time to go over some of that tonight. 
Um, and so I'm going to start in, um, I have smushed together some of the chapters and pulled out some of the useful parts. And so the first part, I entitled it, Learn and Enjoy Each Other's Stories. And so Wells talks a lot about this in the second half of the book. He talks about our stories. And each of our lives is a story. It is a story made up of relationships, of jobs, of hurts, of joys. And each of those stories of every single person is penned by God. It's a God-written story played out on earth. And a lot of times when you try to um, reach into somebody's life and try to get into their um, personal space, a lot of times you'll hear the phrase, you don't even know me, right? Have you ever heard that? Like, how can you say that? You don't even know who I am. Um, I pray that that would not be said of Christians, that we would be people who enjoy to know who people are. We see lives as stories that God has written and would find joy in reading what God has written or hearing what God has done in people's lives. And even more so, we have the ability, because as Christians, we know how stories end. And so we have the ability to fit this story and take a missing piece of the gospel and say, but look, look how what's already happened to you can be shaped by this. And look at the ending you can have. We're going to talk about the ending um, at the end. And, uh, <laughs> um, and so... Um, we should not be afraid of rough stories, and we should not be. Um, and I pray that we would not be grow, we not grow bored of stories. And so the first little n little nugget I'd like to pull out of here is he talks about moving toward people. It's very simple. Um, even I might even argue it's too simple that sometimes we think it's not important. And he very very literally means moving towards people, walking and initiating conversation. He dedicates a whole chapter to it. Um, oftentimes this is awkward. Our flesh doesn't like it. Um, it's easier when people are like us. Well, we're both basketball players. We can talk about that. We're both Steeler fans. We can talk about that. But it gets hard um, when there are people who are awkward or awkward to you. You don't... Um, match. And so we will say, oh, that's such a small thing, moving toward and initiating, so I won't do it. I want to read something from the book um, that changed my mind on it, hopefully it would change your mind as well, where he talks about how important moving towards people is. And he says, as the king goes, so go his people. He moves toward people, we move toward people. He moves toward people who seek him and people who do not. We move toward those who want help and those who seem distant and marginalized. He moves toward friends and even enemies. We move beyond our circle of friends into those far beyond that circle. Imagine how this can transform our churches. Instead of talking to the same people, those with whom we are comfortable and who are similar to us, we treat others as God has treated us. Imagine how loneliness could gradually be banished. And what a powerful thought. Um, a lot of times we do focus things on ourselves, and we say, that's awkward, so I'm not going to do it. And we think that's okay. But when you pair this, and actually I love this book, especially this side of it, because he does pair a lot of his recommendations with the very character of God that is shown to us. And so he came to us when we were enemies, and he initiated his love on us and salvation and changed our lives. And so if we could mirror that here in the church and move toward one another, um, and even those who are um, not like us. He gives um, a list, um, a priority list. If I don't particularly like that word, but a list of um, in the church how to greet. I'm going to go over it quickly. He says, first, the visitor, who the Bible would call the foreigner or the alien, the person who stumbles into church. At this point, to all of us, their story is unknown. Their story is not um, laid out for us. And so they could, um, 
And uh, as far as we know, they could have no connection with the love that we do know with Jesus Christ. And so that should be the first thrust. The second should be the visitor who returns, the visitor who got the taste of the love that we can um, reflect here in the church and came back. That's two. Next is the people who are alone. And that could mean the people who are experiencing a time in their life that brings on loneliness, or that could quite literally mean the person who's alone, the person who's standing by themselves. Um, Go to them and greet them. And then at the end he says, and then children. And in our church, um, we are blessed with children. We have um, a large amount of children, and that's important. That is discipleship right there. Perfect opportunity um, for discipleship and to greet and move towards. And as we do that, um, we're talking about and we're hearing stories. And we, are, and we are gathering information and we are learning how God has written um, into these lives and how we can apply the gospel to it. And the next part of this um, learning each other's stories is see the good in people. And in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 and verse 4, um, it's a very common greeting that Paul writes. And he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that the grace of God that was given to you, given you in Jesus Christ. And so that's a pretty common greeting. You hear Paul say those sorts of things a lot. Um, but what you know it, when you read the book of 1 Corinthians was this church was not particularly a good church. A lot of their practices were, were sinful. And they needed correction. But notice how he comes with thanks. And he comes with giving thanks to God always for you. Because of the grace that was given to you in Jesus Christ, he's positive and he sees the good. Now, he does correct what needs to be corrected. That's not swept under the rug and that's not what I'm advocating and that's not what the book advocates. But this is um, the ability to come alongside with positivity and to um, meet people with that. I'm going to use an analogy that helped me and I hope it's helpful for all of you. Have you ever seen... Um, like pirate movies or any movie with old school sailing ships where the one group boards the other group's ship. They're trying to get on to their ship. So as the ship's cruising through the water, does the boarding ship come opposing them to try to board them or they come alongside? And so as we are moving towards people, we want to be a part of their stories. We want to connect our story to theirs and ultimately put the gospel in through all of it. And so we come alongside them, not through opposition, although there is time for correcting and rebuking, and Scripture is used for that. But when we meet people, um, oftentimes it's easy to succumb to our own pride and to take the gospel and Jesus' righteousness that is not earned by us And we think that it is. And so we'll come to people who are living in sin. Or people that are um, opposite of what we would say is right on non-essential issues. And we'll come to them with opposition. And what Welsh is saying, and it's beautiful, is that we can have positivity. And this is true in the church and outside the church. Our positivity shows the same flavor of love that God shows when he looks at our mountain of sin and he forgives. And he yet forgives that sin. It's the beautiful aspect of Christian character that is the exact opposite, interestingly enough, the exact opposite of what the culture tries to paint us to be. We don't have to harbor any sort of phobia uh, for who people are in their sin because we do know the power that will transform all sorts of the worst people into one day being perfect. We have connection to that power. And so we don't have to be um, afraid or we don't have to be automatically opposing. Um, And so what we are doing in that is we are looking through. So all people are made in the image of God. The Bible makes that clear. Um, And our sin has distorted that and has covered that and has taken parts of that and has twisted it. And Satan is all too pleased to help us twist it. And so when we are seeing the good, what we're doing is like an archaeologist digging up 
um, you know, ancient artifacts. We're brushing away the dirt and the gunk that is the sin, and we're looking for the glimpses of God's image. And we're focusing on that. And we're happy when we see that shard of clay in the dirt that is the image of God. And we focus on that. And we start on that. This could be character qualities. Um, you could be um, talking to somebody who is not a Christian. And he openly will reject God. But he comes into church. And he comes with his wife. And you ask him, hey, what brings you here? And he says, oh, I'm here with my wife. That quality of wanting to honor his wife by coming to church with her is something we could be positive about. Sure, there's plenty of sin that can be affected, but that is also positive. And we can, and we, and we can praise God that he would have that, that good character quality amidst his sin. And so it can be character qualities. It can be gifts and talents. If somebody were a good singer or a good athlete or an artist, you could um, point to that because that is ultimately given by God. Or even um, hobbies or things that give them joy and pleasure. You can use that, even that, to point to God. And so um, in all of us, there is room to look to the positive. And so the next section, it's almost as if it's a progression. Um, he talks about being there during trouble. And so this is the times in life when it does get hard. And when our hearts do get busy and shifted around by what is taking place. And our hearts get so cluttered and distracted, the church can be by... Um, following scripture can be agents of peace and soothing to one another. And so he talks about, in the first part I'm going to pull out, and again, um, please read the book because I can't go into all the good things he talks about here. Um, but he talks about compassion. And compassion um, in scripture, we'd see it in Galatians 6 and verse 2 where it says, bear one another's burdens. And that's what compassion um, v v very much is. It is bearing one another's, one another's burdens and coming alongside. It reminds me of a, of a quote that I like. It's an old, um, I don't know if it's old, but it's definitely a Swedish proverb. And it says, um, shared joy is a double joy. And shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Um, and so that is, that is a beautiful way of um, saying this in a different way. We can um, come and when we see somebody, we walk into church and we see somebody and they are happy and they're smiling, we can say, please tell me, what is making you so joyful? And they not only have the joy of that, but they have the joy of making you joyful by hearing their joy. And so it's a double joy. And the same thing goes the other way with sorrow. You see someone who's just had a rough week, and it's easy to see that face on people, and you ask why. And you can unload that onto one another, and it can lighten that load, and that's what compassion does. So I'm going to go through a couple um, hallmarks, if you will, of compassion. Um, compassion speaks. And so this is where, this was an interesting chapter um, in the book for those of us that went through it. I think only one GCC group went through it. Um, and it's interesting, he talks about actually speaking and giving words of counsel to another. And this is the prime opportunity, as we went back to the quote that I read first, to say the stupid and hurtful things um, out of a good heart and good place, but we can still um, hurt people unintentionally. And so he gives lists of things not to say. And one of the things um, that he says not to say is a very common one when someone is going through hurt and trouble. Um, he says, do not say, it could be worse. <laughs> I, if I asked to raise hands who has said that to somebody, <laughs> my hand would be up. Um, I know a lot of people's hands would be up. It's a very common thing. And as Welsh points out, that's the first half of a very um, twisted way of reasoning. It's saying, 
Uh, it could be worse. Imagine if you had broken both of your legs. <laughs> and so to try to make them feel better, you have them imagine something worse than they could possibly be going through. Um, and it's not helpful. It, it does come out of a good place. Um, and, and, and I certainly don't want to bash people for it. But it, it, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. And so instead, our words should um, say to the hurting person, I'm sorry that this is happening to you. This hurts me to hear you hurting. I am here with you. Say words that go to that effect. And I am quickly running out of time, so I'm going to speed up. Um, and then it says, compassion acts. Um, and another thing that he says not to say, and this one hit me pretty hard because I say it a lot, do not say, if you need anything, call me. I say that one a lot too. My hand be up again. Um, now, th this is useful. This is useful in um, normal settings. Like if I was talking to Eddie and we leave, all right, Eddie, if you need anything, call me. But we're talking about people who are in trouble and people who are hurting and grieving. Um, this is not helpful because out of the hundred times that I've probably said that to a hurting person, I can't think of one where they've actually called me and said, here's what you could do. Um, and we know that and, and I believe that Welsh is very wise in pointing that out that um, we do understand that when we say that we're not expecting people to call we're just saying that to check off our box and feel better um, instead he advocates and this is beautiful act, compassion acts a friend knows the other friend's story and they act in what would be they know would be useful a friend cooks a meal, a friend goes and buys groceries or watches the kids or however they know you could be helping, you act in that um, regard. Here's a quote from his book where it says, um, the time we give to creative strategizing is the power behind such acts. It is unmistakable love that mimics the strategic planning of the triune God's rescue mission. He planned and acted even before we knew our real needs. And this is um, just a, a beautiful picture of how in someone's hurting, we can again be mirrors that reflect the love that God has given to us while in our sin, we didn't even know our true need. And yet he acted and he planned. He planned the death of Jesus on the cross. He planned salvation. And he planned a recreation before we even knew of our need. And so we can mimic that. And we can act out of our compassion. And I'm going to go through the, the last one in this section quickly. Compassion remembers. Um, and this is... Uh, a really amazing concept and it talks about when we truly do bear the weight of somebody else um, let's just say that it's a death in the family when we bear that weight we remember that just as they would when maybe the anniversary of that rolls around and we follow up and when we may, in the, in the, 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 the in, in the book, Will Welsh does tell a story of that, where that very thing happened, where a young man experienced the death of his father, and a year later on the anniversary, someone from his church called and said, um, "I remembered that that this was the day, and I want to um, I want to um, let you know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would be comforted by God." And so as we do bear one another's burdens, it should compel us to remember the hurts. And then in hurt, um, we can pray. I'm going to go through these quickly. We can pray, first of all, for action or for healing. A lot of times people are sick and they pray for healing. And the Bible does tell us um, in James 5, verse 14, where it says, if you're sick and I'm Paraphrasing, but he says, call for your elders and, and, and have them pray for you. And so Welsh would say, we are eager to pray for what we were asked to pray for. But, I'm sorry, pray for, but we also expect that Scripture will take these requests and further shape them. And so 
um, we know from our eternal perspective, we know that there is a day coming when all sickness and all hurt will be erased. And, and Paul tells us that the, the trials we experience here are light and momentary compared to that glory that's being prepared for us. And so we know that the physical pains and the hurts are here because of sin, and they may remain. But we can still pray, and we can still be eager to pray for what was asked for, but we know that Scripture will guide that into maybe a more useful prayer. And um, down the line it says, pray for, for comfort. Prayer for God's comfort extends to all kinds of suffering. We honor God when we know His comfort. It shows that he is great, and we are pleased to pray for. And that's another quote from the book. Um, And the beautiful thing about the prayer for comfort, or the comfort that comes from God, is that this comfort that we receive, um, the Bible says, is bankable. It's comfort we can remember and then deposit in other people's lives. Um, It says in 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 4, it says, Um, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so that comfort is bankable. And we can hang on to that and we can deposit it back on one another. And then finally, for faith. For increased faith. And his quote here says, Faith sees that we are people in motion on a journey led by the Spirit. And faith, the Bible tells us, is the, um, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we hope for that day of recreation. And faith is the evidence of that. And we know that as Christians we are in the hand of God and that we are waiting for that day when he will re- recreate and we will be co-heirs with Jesus of that. And so when we ask for faith, what we're saying is, please let me see a little bit of that perspective right now. Let me see what you're going to do. Let me see it now and let this thing look smaller and increase that faith. And so as the progression goes, that is one of the most powerful things we can ask for in prayer when someone is hurting. Um, And I'm going to say just a little bit more on this one the, the, the last section um, where it talks about Christians can fight sin together and um, Eddie touched on that and it says suffering and sin are the sum of our problems here on earth suffering hurts more but sin is more serious suffering will not last but sin has consequences that last into eternity and so um, I've heard the quote, and I don't know who to give credit to, but it's very good, where it says, um, the church should be a safe place for sinners and a dangerous place for sin. And we should, um, we should rejoice when, when we see sin in our lives or when a brother or sister sees sin in their lives and it's brought to the forefront. It would be like if you walk into your house and the lights are all off. Um, and it's just like any other time when you walk in your house at night. But then you flip on the light and all through the wall are just spiders crawling all over the place. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. I didn't mean to. <laughs> okay. That causes a reaction of, oh, my gosh, that's bad. You see it. You see the problem very easily. But thank God for the light that showed you that before you leaned against the wall and got spiders all over you. So, <laughs> um um, sorry, Jackie. I didn't think about that. <laughs> um, but so, um, praise God that the Holy Spirit illuminates our sin and we can see it and we can fight it and eradicate it here in the church. And finally, I'm going to end on this um, and we will go into um, our communion time with uh, keeping the story in view. So our stories are individual and they are penned by God, but collectively, like a collage, they make up the big story or the, the word we would use um, in big theological terms is the meta-narrative of Scripture. The big story comes together and our stories fit into that. Um, and in Ephesians 1, 
verses 4 and 5. It says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, and love he predestined us to an adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind of intention of his will. And so this is the future that we get to enjoy. This is... Um, so our lives are, are past as in sin, as enemies of God, shaking our fist at him and deserving the wrath that he would pour out on that, that he would have to pour out on that as a just God. We went from that being our past to our present now being struggling and needing each other to limp our way to that day. But our future is that day where there will be no more limping. There will be no more sickness, no more locking your doors in fear, no more needing to carry pepper spray around. Like all of that will be gone, and that's the future that we're going for. And that is why we get to be people who hear all the stories of the world. We get to befriend all the categories that Eddie read in that book, and we can say, tell me, tell me what has happened in your life. Let me hear it. And we can say, now can I share with you this aspect of your story that you're not seeing yet? This aspect that changed my life. And we can show them the end and the joy that we have. And with all that in view, that is how the church can take sin that is heavy and hearts that are busy and the world that is hard. And we can be an outpost where it's a little bit lighter where it's a little bit easier and there's real joy and there's real tangible unity that can't be found anywhere else. And so that's all um, that I have. And so we will um, celebrate um, our communion um, in mind of that, in mind of um, that beautiful reality that is made possible by Jesus. That that, um, that reality of a perfect day that we can long for, where everything is recreated, that was made that way by Jesus um, repairing the damage we have caused and the, and the offense that we, have, um, that we have put out towards, towards God.